You're listening to RevOps FM with Justin Norris. Data is the raw material we work with in marketing. You know, you can come up with all these amazing campaign ideas. You can even build them out. But if your data is junk, everything falls apart. Today's guest spent a decade building Digital Pie, one of the top agencies in the marketing automation space, and he's now making a pivot to customer data ops because he saw what a huge problem this was. So very happy to welcome Ryan Vong to the show. Ryan, thank you. Nice to see thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Talk to me a little bit about starting Digital Pie and when what was it like seeing the evolution of marketing operations during that time? Let's roll back some gray hairs for a second. In the marketing space, it was fairly simple. I think we were so used to getting lists, doing events, and then there it is. There's your leads and salespeople follow up. It was a very simple formula. I think that during that period, marketing automation became really important for companies that were trying to not do that anymore and really get a better understanding of who's buying their digital body language. That evolution led into all the tools that we saw, into the platforms that we saw, and really started the entire MarTech stack. That's when you start seeing these tools just come up and they started exploding onto the scene. And at some point you were thinking, this has got to stop and it's going to have to consolidate at some point. That's actually what I thought too. It didn't happen. I think the latest numbers put us around 7,000 tools and there's like tons of categories around there. And that itself, just the volume that required something that was very different that they didn't have, which was this whole concept of marketing operation. It's like, it was baked out of necessity, right? You're looking for people that understood marketing, but also were savvy enough to understand technology to make these things come together and make them work. So that was what I saw in the last like decade, just an explosion of that. And, you know, even back then, I remember going on LinkedIn looking for mops people, like that was like the word at the time. You couldn't find that many people with that kind of background. And now you just have to have that as a function, as people in an organization, right? So I've just seen it just evolve and continue to grow. I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, Knack. You know, I love marketing automation software, but let's be honest, the email and landing page builders are usually terrible. You can't make it nice without a developer and marketers are going to find a way to break things or go off brand. You do not have time for that. So Knack is totally different. You set the guidelines and then give your users a building experience that's slick, modern, and beautiful. When they're done, everything goes to your map at the push of a button. And don't worry, it supports global teams, approval workflows. It's got your integrations. So head on over to revops.fm forward slash NAC, that's K-N-A-K, and get a special offer just for my listeners. I remember what you're saying because I was working predominantly with Marketo and Salesforce, and I had the opportunity to choose my own job title, 2012, 2013, and it just wasn't even in my lexicon. But by 2014, when I left, it was because I wrote the job description for my replacement, and I called it Director of Sales and Marketing Operations. So somewhere in that period, it kind of became a thing to call all the disaffected marketers who were good at technology, like like playing with There weren't true marketers, weren't true techies. There's something in between and it just fit, right? It just fit. Yes, this kind of limbo space. So the evolution of RevOps 
it's caused me to compare marketing ops and sales ops a lot more. And sometimes you have sales ops people that are just not technical at all, and they're doing comp planning, they're doing territory, they're maybe doing a lot more analysis and data work. And I, I think that exists in MOPS too, but MOPS somehow comes from this place where we're system administrators. Do you think that's just an unavoidable part of the pedigree, or do you think marketing ops is just five or 10 years behind sales ops and it's going to mature in this way where tech is more just a part of the portfolio, maybe not even if it becomes part of business systems? And there's other things that are a bigger focus. Yeah. I think if the question is, will mobs be at some point more strategic and less doers and runners of systems? I think that it has to get there. You know, that, you know, although there are lots of tools and explosion of tools, they make functions easier. So I'm starting to see a lot more organizations do a lot more with less people than they used to. And so you're, you have to look at it. We're like, where's it evolving? Right? Like, how does, how does mobs evolve from a purely connect all these things, make sure nothing breaks every day to wait, what is the value where we're seeing? And I think more and more mobs teams, they really report up to the demand function, up to the revenue function. So that by itself, the alignment itself is in the right place. In order to do that, you have to be more into the analysis of it, right? More strategic in nature. That's just going to happen. Because some of the blocking and tackling, either you outsource it now, it's the race down to the bond. Like how much does it cost to do a campaign? Because it's like functionally, okay, I get it. I know how to send something. I know how to pull a campaign together. That's not as hard as it was a few years back. So you're now looking at like if those things are done, you're like where am I trying to move the organization, right? So you, you do finally get into a position where you're thinking more strategically about lifetime value of customers, where the metrics you really care about are. I know we talk a lot about that, and that's really been the message for mobs in the past, but just from a pure day-to-day, you can't get there. Because every day you come in, but guess what? Your email is literally, these things need to be done and this is broken. And like, that seems to be the day. And it's like, where, where did you find time for strategy in this? You don't, right? It's just very difficult. So I think that's noise starts to go away as more skill sets are, are commoditized in a lot of ways. Tools become a lot easier to use and you don't have to like worry about things breaking all the time that you can actually start to take a step back. It has to evolve that way. There's no way to add people to manage the, the broken dam, right? All, all the things leaking. There's not enough fingers to plug the holes. And the organizations won't pay for it. How big is your mom's team? How much does it cost me? What are they doing for this? That's always going to be that question. Speaking about outcomes and the point about just running the tech stack being commoditized, I recall many times working on a project and building out nurture series and just thinking like, would this actually work? Like not work technically, like it's our job to make it work, but is this actually effective marketing? And there's an almost like compartmentalization within yourself where you're like, well, that's that's there to worry about. But do you think that actually, no, it, it'll be part of the challenge of marketing operations, force more accountability with those teams supplying that data? helping them make better decisions, that sort of thing. I think that is absolutely going to be the case. Like every penny is scrutinized. I've seen two approaches. One, it's like generally it's driving revenue so we can account for that. And then there's the, I want to track every single touch point and break it down, down to the finest detail. But then depending on who's running that data, it's siloed, right? It's like, look at how well these things are doing. Siloed without the full story of the entire gen. And I think that we still are not at a point where somebody can confidently come up and say, this is their entire journey, you know, and this is 
what has happened. I don't think we're there just because I don't think all the stitching with the tools are there. Like, oh well, yeah, tracking across everything. It's not there. Um, still lots and lots of analytics teams trying to pull that together. And they can make some really good correlation. Some of it gets very close, but it's not, it's not foolproof. And you just wanted to tell common story, like enough and not really read into the wrong thing. And we can't track all things. There's some very specific nuances, right? Some businesses are 90% referrals. Word of mouth. How do you track that in a metric? Dad, to your point of word of mouth, somebody going into a mob Slack group, what agency should I hire or what tool should I buy? You know, I did a lot of attribution projects. It was a focus area of mine. And I was like, yeah, you can build it as bulletproof as you want. But there was always a bit of a letdown sometimes when people looked at the final reports and you'd show it to an executive yeah. and they'd be like, well, actually, but that doesn't make it. They almost wanted to use their common sense to override what the report was showing them. Like you said, you can show a lot of things, about everything. I don't think it's an argument for showing nothing, but uh, there was almost a false promise of how scientific we could get in those reports, I think. Yeah. And I think that's where there's still some interpretation, but I think that more and more will be supported by data over time. Turning the focus to data, you're making this big pivot. You're starting a new venture, Helix CXM, to focus specifically on this topic. Tell me a bit about the pains that you saw while you were working Digital Pi that led you now in this direction. So back when I was building Digital Pi, one of the things that I noticed was, you know, Marquette himself was a flexible tool. Build it any way you want. But that's giving someone the ability to go build it any way they want might not be a good idea, right? Because without the, the understanding of programming, logic steps, like it, it was just like, oh, these things are overriding each other and they, they just wouldn't know. So I decided, you know, I wanted to like create a framework where it matches what a programmer would think, you know, objects and reusable components and everything so that it can scale. It can, leverage. It can also be troubleshooted, right? Like having one thing that just stamps sources so that it's, there's something wrong with the source. You can go to the one program that did it so you can change it, right? So very like simple ideas. But when you looked at, into an instance, it was like crazy. Those were very painful things to go through. And we built a, a, essentially a standard and called the build standard. After that, it's all done. You know, the customers have been with us for a while. We completely built an incredible automation activation platform. Then it comes time to run something. And the data that comes in would always be, oh, well, you have to filter this out. We don't really know if they're a customer or a prospect. Some of them are, some of them are not. There's always something wrong with the data that caused it to naturally default to a state where you pull in a static list again. You're like, what? I built all of this. It's meant to run. She's like, why do I have to do this? And every filter had to have these exceptions, depending on what it was. And sometimes the exceptions, you know, didn't make sense because in one condition, it's this, and in another condition, it's something else. And so it was very difficult, no matter how well it was built to orchestrate that, to get that running because the data was wrong. That was very frustrating for us because we didn't control the data. You know, we can build engines to normalize data, but, you know, at the same time, like somebody needed to make this decision on it, you know, especially like we're all paying, we're hoarding records that never will never be sent. And I don't know how much we're paying for overhead is to keep records. It's crazy. Uh, it's like renting a building just to store a bunch of old files. Like what? It doesn't make sense. And then, so that, that became a very big focus for us where a majority of our work was like, can we start to really get rid of stuff? Can we really look through this? When I left Digital Pi, I felt very good for what we've accomplished. 
as far as our mission is concerned. Build it scalable, build it simple, give them a framework, a reference that they can build upon, right? I think that was like our entire goal. That was great. But, you know, it didn't sit well with me that none of these things can run still when the data is not right. And, you know, I started thinking about data operations. And if you think about data operations, it's traditionally all of the data IT side, data management side, right? It's under that umbrella. Then they, there's, a, there's a lot of very good practices on master data record management, golden records to data warehouse, like how to structure things in a way that there's an approach, right? But then when you look at the revenue team, the same people we're dealing with, the MOPS team, they, again, it goes back to the early days of they're lacking programming knowledge, systems knowledge to build something like this. But there's no way, vision of how do we structure this data to make sure that it, it works for us. That's what I'm trying to solve with Elex. It's really the data operations for the revenue team side of it. Because I don't think that that's been talked about because they're usually the folks that are just you know, they're generating lots of data. They're, every tool or every application you buy generates data, right? So you, you say, I own the tool. Do you own the data with the tool? Then it gets into this weird quandary. And I talked to the teams about this even recently. It just says, well, who owns this? How do we define who owns what? Right? That's the first part. And then we get to define who has authority to change it or all it. But that's really where I think it's going to go next. I'm not a AI guy. There's a lot of that out there. But what do all these things need to get better? Data, lots and lots of it, but good data. You, you know, your AI is only as good as the data it's mining. So if you're generating a lot of bad stuff, it's going to give you bad, terrible correlations of things, whatever you're doing with it. So how do you have a way to formally create a, a framework for how this stuff should process? There's obviously a technical component to solving this problem, which we'll, we'll get to in a second. It also seems, in my experience, that there's a process aspect and how do we think about this data? How do we want, like, building taxonomy. If you don't have the right taxonomy of lead sources, you'll never be able to report on anything because you've got apples and oranges all mixed up in the same bucket. Is that part of what you're going to do as well? Wrap the process data strategy consulting around it? Or is it more about stitching it together, connecting things from point A to point B, cleaning it, that sort of thing? I think our longer term vision will also include intelligence from the data. Like what is the data telling us? You know, what is it saying about the business so that we can help our clients? We're so early right now. I think that our first goal we can accomplish it is to get data as a utility, basically the stitching it all together to make sure that whoever needs it, when they need it, is there and it's right. I think that's like, if we just fundamentally do that, that's going to give us a good leg up on everything else. There's three phases of data. Data as a utility where people can consume it. Data as an enabler, like I can solve some problems with it. You know, like, you know, I mean, I am a customer marketing manager. I manage only customers. I needed to know what they own. I need to upsell, cross sell them on things. I need to know who they are, right? Trying to find customer data, like inside there, like not even the prospects and the leads, just the customer information where you would think is readily available is really difficult. So data as an enabler enables this person, this group to do better with the functions that they're in, right? And then the third phase is data as a driver. Data sets the vision of what's to come. It helps to determine what can come. One of the ways that companies try to solve this today is with the data warehouse, the data lake, but it essentially seems to amount to taking all this 
first-party data, throwing it in uh, BigQuery or Snowflake yeah. or a system like that, usually the raw format, and then working with data developer to try to stitch that back together. And then you've got this reverse ETL thing that tries to take it back out of there, make it useful. Point of view on that, what have you seen in terms of that approach? Some level of a data or a centralized system records has to make sense. It really does. The issue I, I think I find a lot of times is the length of the cycle it takes to get that completed. Like you can bring those in, but think about what the, you know, the one thing that every business deals with and has very limited supply of is time. Yes, you can build it. And yes, money companies will say like, well, we'll build our own. Like we have, we can, we can spend a lot less, but it'll take us five years. Right. And I'll need, I'll need these specific resources to connect these tools and look at every single like thing. And then it's an application into the data warehouse and then another application in the data warehouse. And it, that's going to be on a one year path and that's on year two and year three. I mean, it's by the time you get there, it's like everything's outdated. Um, and I think that's the factor of it. I think you need some level of like a centralized data hub, but you need speed. You need to be able to operate while this is happening, the business itself. You know, when we were acquired by Merkle, we worked on a lot of companies that were growing fast through acquisition. And so you have a company that just threw in all their tools and the business had to run together and separate at the same time. You know, what, what do I mean by that? Well, don't affect any of the workflow because they have sales processes, they have tools, they they, they have an entire model that's SaaS-based, and you guys sell software the way you used to sell software, but they have to run together, and they want the same data in the same place. And you could like, whoa, like two different motions of entirely different businesses coming together, right? How do teams manage that? So <laughs> very painfully, you know, and I, I think there was like no answer, no easy answer for that. And I think that when we started to think about like, well, how do you solve this? Like you need nimbleness. You need some ability to operate in two conditions at the same time, right? Like sort of a centralized hub and spoke model, light integrations into things to get them going. Fully integrated is usually the plan. The traditional approaches or the approaches that I'm seeing right now are, are still painful because they're using tools that have been created 20 years ago. Some of these ETL tool platforms, they're not adapted to modern organizations. I mean, I hate to say it, like some of the automation platforms are created so long ago and they she's yep. underneath that it's still like clipped. it's true you would think that it's like wow it's modern and it should be fat no it's still flat tables and it's scary as heck you know there's there's that right so we always have a very specific perspective on the platform we chose because i think it for me what i looked at it allowed us to work in those sort of dynamic states where there's connected you know quick quickly without harming the environment. I think that was the key. It's like, can you put something in where you won't tell people to stop the work and not destroy what is going on, right? Like, can you plug it in in a way that it's functioning well in an environment like that? And you start to see it can answer some very good questions. You know, some of these issues, these bottlenecks that we got caught up in, it solves for. That's why I'm bullish on it. So let's talk about Syncrete. I've used a number of ETL tools. I probably had the most experience with Ricardo, which was sort of the consulting practice that I led, which I really like. But Syncrete popped into my awareness maybe a few years ago, and I, it was an article by one of their founders making this provocative point about, you know, single source of truth is dead. They were following up on this Salesforce announcement. You know, Salesforce was launching some new data thing, and the person's like, this is the wrong approach. Single source of truth is never going to work. We need 
distributed truth. We need to display this data to the different teams in the place where they are. And I thought it was insightful and there's something kind of intuitively relevant about that. Clearly you saw something similar in your work with it. Yeah. How does that solve the problem of the monolithic data warehouse and the slowness that that brings? Everything works in a hub and spoke way and it's distributed where it shows up across all the different applications for the very specific pieces of data that it needs. And it keeps it up to date. I actually asked our developers to like kick the tires on it quite a bit and give me very specific answers to why this. And the way they described it, it's a different way of thinking about how to solve the syncing issue or the connecting issues. Now I'm going to default into, I trust you. I trust what you're saying because you're going to have to work with this tool. And I'm hoping to show that in a working model fairly soon. So once we get a few of these projects that we have in a showable state, I kind of want to peer under into the system itself, really show the movement of the data and why it's unique to how it functions. We're trying to build that right now. You know, rather than ask a sales leader to go and log into a data warehouse or log into Looker or something like that and run the reports there, it's allowing them to stay in the, the CRM Salesforce where they're comfortable being, let's say, more or less. And it's bringing that data to them. Yeah. Is that kind of the main or one of the main distinctions in terms of how it functions? And, then, and that's very key, right? How many times have we tried to get someone to change the way they like use something? This is the most difficult thing in the world. Like It, it is the hardest because they're so used to their interface. To be able to serve up data in the format that they see it you know, in the location, in the app itself. That's huge. That it's, that itself solves like a very big bottleneck to just, you know, deploying anything. I've had CFOs that are logged into Salesforce and I'm like, how are you going to see the forecast data on anything? Well, just spit it out to me and like, give it, give it to me in an Excel spreadsheet, right? Um, it, you know, it's like, please just log in and run these reports. Like you would think that's like easy request, but it's like, no. Send them a fact. Yeah. <laughs> it's always some amazing Excel pivot tables. I, I think that's so key to this whole thing on adoption is you're not asking someone to do something different. You're asking them to look in the same thing and they get to, they get to see the information in, in a place they're comfortable with looking. That's huge. Is that? You know, there's always like, there's tech and then there's human nature and, and we just love the stuff that we're used to. And I'll say too, I've seen a demo or two of Syncre. I haven't gone too deep with it. So I'm saying this with a caveat, but one of the things that struck me was that it was maintaining its own system of record in between all of these different apps. And I've had this paint, like I love Workato. I love its power as a workflow engine. It's like Marketo smart campaigns, but on steroids, you can do anything. Yeah. But in trying to do a system-to-system -system integration, like a data sync, not just like workflow, but moving data and replicating it between systems. You're left kind of hanging in midair because you don't have a unique source of truth. So you're like, I think this is new over here. I'm going to put it over there. And then I think this is new over yeah. here. I'm going to put it over there. But you're, you know, you can kind of keep some tables in Workato, but it doesn't have its own data store, at least not at that time. Maybe they've changed. Whereas Syncre, having this central data store seemed core to the model. And it reminded me a lot of the Marketo Salesforce sync, like how it's built under the hood and why it's so effective. It's worth mentioning for listeners that the CEO of Syncry is VP of product at Marketo. So I think he even mentioned that he kind of was modeling it on that concept. Yeah. And I thought that was just so smart because that, that solves a lot of those like state problems yeah. that you have yeah. with syncing. I think uh, it, it was, yeah, he, he created the, Marketo and Salesforce sync. What I really 
struggled with. Like whenever you went into the, even the Marketo logs, like when we used to like check everything that's happened, you look at those logs, right? With Syncre, there is a ability to go, go back to a previous state, which, oh gosh, I mean, like the simplest thing in the world, but awful, right? And you can set, you can see two sources of data coming into the same record and determine which one is the one that updates the other. And it's, if you think about what you have, essentially, it's like, if you have all the data, you know, in this way, log level, high fidelity data, then the natural thing on top of that is, well, I can actually run analytics on top of that now. You get real good information, right? Because it's there. And I think that's where they're going with it too, is that at some point, I think they're going to build out some layer and it's like that, some sort of business intelligence. I think that might be what they're referring to on their AI side as well. But it's really neat. For me, it's like, it's not a technical thing for me. It's like, it feels complete. You know, like the end off is complete because there's a reference. It's like a consensus, right? There's a place where consensus happens. And I think that's what I really like tracked into this. Once this is up and running, so you go and you build this for people, who owns it within the company? Is IT going to take ownership of it? Is RevOps going to take ownership of it? Does this sit alongside other corporate data projects? Is it just a revenue thing? I know it'll be different for different companies, but what would you advocate for? What would you recommend in terms of an organizational structure? You're right that it will depend, but I really think it belongs with the revenue teams, you know, like with the MOPS teams. I think that it's the natural place for it because of sort of their area of control now includes a majority of the tools that, that are there now that connect to this thing. It's the natural place for it in my mind right now. And in some cases, like even then, right? Like I took the, the application in terms of it's, you know, is it up? Is it down? Like, is it working? You know, is it online? But everything inside there is what tends to be owned by the, the mobs teams. And I think it'll probably work very similar to that. Like IT will always have some ownership of this. And it'll be interesting. The question of like, what's the data model and who owns the data? That will probably find in very different answers. But the core itself, well, the tool, how it's operating, it really serves the, the revenue teams more than anybody just because of the natural functions that it does. And at some point when we go back to like MOPS has to be, become strategic or it, it's going to lean more towards that. Well, where do you think this information is going to come from? You're going to have to know that and you're going to have to own this information. Thinking about the structure of an engagement, probably some similarities and some differences to the work that you've done in the past. Uh, let's say, you know, I was to bring you into my current company today, say, you know, Ryan, help us get our customer data in order. What would the, what would the A, B, and C of that process look like to you? It'd be similar to what any, you would expect from any kind of consulting you know, company, right? Our first mission is to determine the use cases that we're trying to solve, determine for us this time, it's determining the originating sources of where that data is coming from, determining what the, you know, what, what the end state should be. And then we sort of map those into data flow diagrams, specifically a data schema, um, a working prototype. And then we sort of think about any other workflows that we need to apply to these, you know, scenarios and turn it on. I mean, my goal with this is not nine-month deployments or anything like that. It's meant to be nimble, it's meant to be fast, and it's meant to be non-invasive to the environment. Like we can get a demo of like what the data looks like afterwards without ever even affecting the data. Show it to you and say, is this what you're thinking that you know, this is what we're solving for? Yes. Okay, now let's go turn it on. 
right? And I think that's the key. It's like we can't, like time has always been like the, again, it's like I'm, I stress this because it, it pains me whenever I hear any company come in and say, all right, um, it's going to take us a year and you can't do these things while we're doing it. It's like, what? Nobody's going to have a job at that point, <laughs> you know, especially for the revenue teams. You know, I kid you not, I've been in where somebody said, I'm going to put in this system. And by the way, while we're doing that for nine months, you can't send a single thing out. And it's like, have you ever thought about what you just said? And like, it's, it's, did you want to get everybody fired? I mean, like, well, how do you suggest something like that? Right? Like, it doesn't make sense. But I hear it and it just shocks me. So again, you know, the engagement is fairly simple. It's getting that up running quickly is so important. You know, the cycle it needs to get prototyped quickly, operate, and it needs to be non-invasive so we can kind of see. And run it. You can actually run all that stuff, keep it in the system without affecting others. And, and, you know, there's no additional workflow to like move it. Like we're not going to turn that on. And then is there an ongoing component for you? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like with our, you, you build a Marketo instance, but then you help them run webinars and emails on an ongoing basis. Is there sort of that ongoing recurring? Yeah, I think that um, just like monitoring of your home, you know, it's, it's like somebody should always looking weekly, daily, however frequently at the data coming in. It, you generate it every day. A lot of it. And, you know, when things happen, you don't want to know about it when it's really bad, you know? And, and for us, it's, you know, we're set up to go and, and monitor the data that's coming in after it's built and actually other things that might be happening in the system to kind of give them like sort of a, a monthly kind of update. You know, these are things that are happening here. These are, you know, it, it's just good, healthy practice to have that. Right. You can't build it and just go, okay, good, because there's some anomalies that might happen. And you hope that nothing happens. You hope that everything is smooth because that's what you want. Right. But, the, you know, but somebody's watching it. Like my health, I hope no intruder ever comes. But somebody's watching in case some random doors opened or something like that. And you want that. It's, it's, it's a policy that's good to have in place. I think it's just a natural extension of what we would be doing. A good idea and something that teams don't always have the bandwidth to focus on themselves or something that could at least fall by the wayside easily. You have gone through this journey, you know, creating a company, doing great, you know, Digital Pi had a great reputation in the marketplace. And I think you guys did a lot of awesome stuff there and taking it to an exit. And now you get to kind of like replay it in some way, which is fun. And I'm curious, how do you feel about that? And what is new and different? What do you want to do the same? What do you want to change? You know, that whole thing. Well, I think going through it the second time around was def is definitely parts of it that are easier because, you know, since like I've seen this before and I think, you know, some things aren't like super new. I think the, the thing that won't change, I think any, anybody starting any business, no matter how many times they've done it is the, the highs and lows of the entrepreneurial journey. You know, one day could be you're on a high and the next day you're like, oh my gosh, I got nothing. I didn't accomplish anything today. I mean, like, it's that drive that will drive you nuts. I mean, it, it really is. It's a, it's a mental thing. You know, I've been, we've been alive for two weeks and I remember, I think it was just like a couple of days ago, I was talking to my wife and I'm like, oh my gosh. We really don't have anything going on right now. It's like, and she's like, hello. I mean, it's been like a week and a half. And it's like, what? You know, it's like, it's, 
you know, you have to like listen to yourself sometimes. Well, wait, 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 what, what, did, what did I expect to have happen? Right. I think that those are all like, you know, fun things. What I really, what I wouldn't change is the culture that we built, the same culture. I would love that. You know, Digital Pie was an incredible place. And the things that I, that kept that in check was, you know, this, I always had a concept of work life spirit. Um, Everyone knows work, everyone knows life, being balanced, but spirit is also very important. However, you're connected outside of something greater than yourself. Very important element that is, I think is often missed. Uh, we created a lot of time for that. We created opportunities for that. It provided a decade of incredible experiences, you know, relatively peaceful and calm growth, fun growth, you know, certain periods of like, well, I'd say hyper-growth, but still grounded in that was so important. That's what I would keep. And that's what I look forward to building again. Because I fundamentally am, like, as a person, these are things that I, are my core beliefs. And I think, you know, you only attract the kinds of folks that believe in the same things. Right? And we had such an incredible team of people that believe in the same things. You know, and that's that's what that's what won't change. That's what I try to build here. You know, and and some things you know that that I would change are probably just things that I didn't know about. You know, that you know, like make faster decision making. You know, sometimes I waited too long with things, but you know, those again, love learning experiences, potholes that you won't step in a second time. Well, I can say as a, as an outsider, even you know, working at a competitor of yours, I think it was a small community and. Uh, Always had respect for what you were doing over Digital Pie. I knew a lot of people who worked there. They loved it. Had some folks that were there, and and, and later on came and and I worked with them and uh, had nothing but great things to say. So I think you, know, you did you did do a lot of things right and had something special. It'll be awesome to see what you do the second time around. If folks are interested in Helix, where can they find you on the web? It's helixcxm.com. I'm on LinkedIn. You can reach out if you want to. Shoot me an email. I, I I have always read and responded my own to my own emails. Never had anybody do that for me, so I can still do that. And my phone number hasn't changed in twenty some years. It's always my cell phone. So yeah, it, if you want to find us, it's very easy. Helixdxm.com or just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to talk. I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know everything. I just know that I can. If I can help you, I will. If I can, I'll let you know that too. <laughs> That's probably the best policy. Hey everyone, I want to invite you over to the RevOps FM Substack community, where you can sign up to get rough transcripts, show notes, longer form articles, and other bonus content. Just head over to revops.fm slash subscribe to get free access. I'd also love to know what you thought of the episode and to hear suggestions for topics you want to learn about. Feel free to leave a comment on Substack or send me an email at justin at revops.fm. Thanks for listening.